Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen, and we're here every Thursday night to bring biblical truths to polygamists. And believe it or not, many polygamists grow up learning only one way of life, and that's in life in the polygamy group. They're not given any choices. And of course, on threat of eternal destruction by a monster god, if they ever leave the polygamy group, they stick around as slaves to an unbiblical and an ungodly system. And we want them all to know that they are not required by God to live polygamy. In fact, God is the author of monogamy. Mormon polygamy wasn't designed by God. It was designed by Joseph Smith. On our show, we regularly quote from early Mormon documents and historical records as we bring to our polygamous viewers some of the strange teachings of the early Mormon polygamous church. Nearly every leader, from the president of the church to his counselors and those in leadership positions, were polygamous. They sermonized prodigiously about polygamy, and we used their quotes to prove our case against polygamy and against human religious rule. One of the many sources of our quotes is uh, the Journal of Discourses. This is a journal of 26 volumes of historical preachings and teachings of the early Mormon polygamous church. However, we have viewers who take extreme exception to our usage of the Journal of Discourses. And what's interesting about that is that those viewers are virtually all members of the Mormon church, even though we are dealing with the early Mormon polygamous doctrine. The Mormon fundamentalists do not complain that we use the Journal of Discourses simply because they are fundamentalists, which means they haven't denied the early Mormon teachings as the mainline church has done. That's why they're called fundamentalists. For instance, one of our Mormon viewers wrote, emailed me several months ago, and she said the Journal of Discourses is not, nor has it ever been a teaching tool. Because we did not stop quoting from the Journal of Discourses at that time, the same viewer wrote a few months later, again saying this, and I quote, Once again, the Journal of Discourses is not and has never been used as a teaching tool. And what you have said here has never been taught to members. What has been said in the Journal of Discourses is only what the people have said, but they are not part of the gospel principles, end quote. I was having lunch in a restaurant a few days ago with some friends, and as sometimes happens, a customer in the restaurant recognized me from the show. And she approached me and she said, you need to check out your information before you say it on your show. And I told her, we do research everything before we say it. And I always give references on the show where we found the information we talk about. And most of our information comes from their own books. Many of the quotes we use are either unknown to the regular member of the polygamy group and also to many members of the Mormon church. A lot of our information we glean from the Journal of Discourses, spoken by polygamists. 
So, of course, polygamy doctrine as well as other doctrinal dogma are recorded in those books. Tonight, we're going to discuss the importance or lack of importance of the Journal of Discourses. Are they or are they not doctrinal? Are they reliable information about the foundational teachings of Mormonism? Do they contain foundational teachings of the Mormon Church? Do they contain foundational teachings of Mormon polygamy groups? And to do this, we've invited as our guest to talk about those these things, Bill McKeever as a returning guest to help us in this discussion because frankly, he knows a whole lot about it and it's historical information. So I'd like to introduce and welcome back as our guest, Bill McKeever. It's good to be with you, Doris. It's good to have I'm you here. Looking forward to discussing Again, this. yeah, this is gonna be great. <laughs> So to our viewer, a lot of our viewers know who you are. You've been on the show several times, uh, but maybe to new viewers or people who missed any of your shows, would you tell them your ministry, what you sure. do, and your website, how you can get you, and your radio show? Yeah, my study of Mormonism goes back to uh, the mid-1970s when I became a Christian. I naturally, as a new believer, did not know a whole lot about Mormonism or even Christianity, but I had a lot of LDS friends. And so when my Mormon friends were challenging me on what I believed as a Christian, I many areas didn't really even know. And But they would tell me what they believed on a subject, and I didn't feel quite comfortable with some of the things that I was hearing. I would go back, find out what the Bible had to say about these things, and found out that there were actually some rebuttals to some of the things that my Mormon friends were telling me. Now, they were good friends of mine, uh, there was no animosity or no reason to hate them or anything like that. But the more I was discussing these issues with my LDS friends, naturally the more concerned I became for them. Mm -hmm. And I started studying Mormonism because it just fascinated me. I, I love American history. You can't separate Mormonism from American history, especially westward expansion. And I, I just found it very easy to study this subject. And I started looking into it. Some people were, who knew that I was studying this would say, hey, if you're having more missionaries over, give Bill a call. He can help you out with some questions and mm. things to say, mm -hmm. things not to say. And that's kind of how it started to where finally in 1979, we started Mormonism Research Ministry as a means of educating the body of Christ about what Mormonism is all about and also reaching out to members of the LDS Church because we have found, of course, in our experience that there are a lot of Latter-day Saints, like the lady that you quote, you know, quoted earlier, mm -hmm. who really don't know their history, right. and in many cases don't even know their own doctrine. Mm -hmm. We often use an expression mm -hmm. at MRM that, you know, um, we know what Mormon leaders want the members to believe, but we don't assume that the members always believe that. <laughs> and so we always want to make a distinction that just because we might be citing something from a manual or a book that Mormons should be familiar with, we don't assume they are familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of Latter-day Saints, especially those that are born in the covenant or born into the system, who have never read a lot of the things that you have read or mm -hmm. I have read. They That's don't true. feel it's, it's needed because they have a testimony that Mormonism is true. Why do I have to go read all that stuff? I already know it's true. Yeah. Well, we don't take that kind of an approach, so we want to look at what the leaders have actually said, because we know that it's the leaders in the church that really have the authority to speak on doctrinal matters mm -hmm. or official matters. 
And as we're going to see tonight, that word doctrine has kind of become fuzzy <laughs> in modern Mormonism. It's almost like trying to pin down anything that's doctrinal or official, as some have said, is like pinning green jello to the wall. Yeah. It just doesn't seem to work anymore. And many times, Latter-day Saints can easily just blow off a lot of statements by saying, well, that was just Brigham Young's opinion, or that was just Bruce McConkie's opinion. Mm -hmm. And I had a discussion with a Mormon just not long ago, and he insisted that his way was right. And I says, well, if I had a choice between what you believe is right and what, let's say, one of your general authorities thought was right, and they didn't agree, who should I side with? Well, in a scenario like that, they know it's not them, it's the general authorities. Right. And that's why we go to them. Mm -hmm. That's why we cite them. If anybody should know what Mormonism is really all about, it should be those who were given the label general authority. You'd think, yes. You would think so. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of Latter-day Saints, uh, they they might want to argue that with you. And, so. and, and you know, the same thing was true with, the, I worked with the fundamentalists and, and on the fundamentalist side, and they do, they are more, I always say they're more honest mm -hmm. with what they believe than the, than the Mormon church is because they hang on to the original fundamentalist right. doctrines. That's why they're called fundamentalists. But the same thing happens in their groups. They use their, the fundamental teachings. They haven't tossed them out, but they build on them by the leadership that is then uh, in charge of the group, you know, they, they, some of them are called prophets, some aren't. Mm -hmm. But the membership generally doesn't know what their foundational teachings have right. been, except that Joseph Smith taught polygamy and you got to do it. And the United yeah. Order. Right. United Order. So where can someone go to get the information about your ministry, the website? Oh, they can get information about Mormonism Research Ministry by simply going to mrm.org. That, okay. That's our website. Mm -hmm. We also have a blog site we call Mormon Coffee. Which is a good and name. I like it's, that. It's forbidden, but it's good. That was <laughs> conjured up by Sharon Lindblom, who works with us at MRM. Uh, but it, it, the difference between the website and the, and the blog site is naturally we invite people to join in the conversation on mm -hmm. the blog site. Yeah. And so we do get Mormons who write in and will express their opinions on a given topic. And then there's a, a lot of Christians who write in and will respond to them sometimes. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you yeah. can get some pretty good healthy debate there and listen to what a Mormon thinks on a, a topic as opposed to what some of the other uh, readers are saying. Mm -hmm. And I also, every time I have you on the show, I always like to bring up your book in their own words. This is a, a book, and I think there's going to be a graphic up on the screen, uh, that Bill McKeever wrote, or compiled, I should say, compiled, uh, yeah. called In Their Own Words. And it's a collection of Mormon quotations from their own books, from the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, from Apostles' teachings, from early Mormon preacher teachings, and so on. And um, if you want to wonder where we're getting our quotes, I get a lot of the quotes from here because he did all the hard work for me. All I have to do is is look it up. But sometimes I have to go, go I'm other where. I'm honored but. to see you using it. I'm <laughs> glad to see it being used that way. It is being used, and you will love it too if you want to order it. Can they order it online on your website? Uh, they, yeah, they can get it directly from mrm.org. Uh, uh, just go to our bookstore and they can order it through there. I think it's also on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Amazon.com. Well. Okay. And because we needed the full hour for the show tonight, because we have a lot to discuss, we've pre-recorded the show, which means we will not have our normal telephone call-in time with our viewers. So if you have questions or comments about what we talk about, you can email them to us, tv at aboutpolygamy.com, and we'll be happy to answer your email. And we do appreciate all your comments and all the input from our viewers. 
Um, now, on your website, MRM.org, you have a good article on what we're going to be talking about tonight. So you can go to MRM.org uh, slash Journal of Discourses, and the, the link is there on the screen. And uh, plus, you've done four radio shows, yes. uh, I believe, on this topic. Yeah, we did a number of uh, shows on this, on Viewpoint on Mormonism, because, as you've seen, it, it's, a, I think, a topic that needs to be discussed. The collection that we find in the Journal of Discourses, as you said, 26 volumes represent what Mormon leaders believe to be true. Now, we could say at that time. At that time. Mm -hmm. and, but still, I think it's important to understand this because these men claim to be speaking on behalf of God, right. speaking for God. That's how they were believed and understood, that they were speaking on behalf of the Almighty. Mm -hmm. I mean, Brigham Young was famous for that statement, I'll paraphrase it, where he said that he'd never yet given a sermon and delivered it among men that they might not call Scripture. Right. That goes right along with the Doctrine and Covenants because Mormons do believe that when their leaders speak, it is like a latter-day Scripture mm -hmm. to them, and especially mm -hmm. when it's said in conference and mm -hmm. things like and, that. And the same thing with, them, with the polygamy groups. They mm -hmm. believe this when their leader speaks, that is the final word and that God has been speaking to them. So uh, many of our viewers probably do not even know what the Journal of Discourses are. I would suspect that if the young people in polygamy groups as well as maybe even the LDS Church don't know what the Journal of Discourses are. So what exactly are they and how did they get started in the first place? Sure. They were actually, they were, as I say, the, the brainchild of a man by the name of George D. Watt. He was a clerk for Brigham Young. And he was commissioned to record conference messages. And, that, and these messages would, would be printed in the Deseret News, which was owned by the LDS Church. Watt wanted to I expand uh, the teachings of the leadership and, and make it more available, just, just not to subscribers of the Deseret News. And so he had actually asked if it would be okay if he recorded a lot of these sermons and discourses put them together and actually sold them. And this would be a way for him to make a living. Mm -hmm. And so he went to get permission from Brigham Young. And there's even a statement found in Messages of the First Presidency where Brigham Young and others that were with him at the time, I think Willard Richards and uh, Heber C. Kimball, um, they put together this statement giving him that permission, giving him their blessing to go ahead and record these things and encouraging people to buy them to help sustain George Watt in this endeavor. Mm -hmm. So it has the blessing of the leadership of the, of the leadership. church that at that time would be Brigham Young. And we, ha we do have that quote. Let's, shall we read sure. it for yeah. our uh, viewers? Yeah, I could, I could read that. It's, okay. it's from the Messages of the First Presidency. It's volume two. Uh, page 119, and you can also find it at the beginning of Volume 1 in the Journal of Discourses, and this is what it says. It says, Dear brethren, it is well known to many of you that Elder George D. Watt, by our counsel, spent much time in the midst of poverty and hardships to acquire the art of reporting in phonography. And I should explain that phonography is just another, another name for Pittman shorthand. Mm -hmm. It was a, a method of writing that they used in courtrooms and such like that. And George Watt was very proficient at that. Okay. Uh, he's, and it goes on to say, which he has faithfully and fully accomplished and he has been reporting the public sermons, discourses, lectures, etc., delivered by the, by the presidency, the 12 and others in this city, for nearly two years, almost without fee or reward. 
Elder Watt now proposes to publish a journal of these reports in England for the benefit of the saints at large and to obtain means to enable him to sustain his highly useful position of reporter. So he's doing this as a means of making a living. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Uh, you will perceive at once that this will be a work of... Um, be a work mutual benefit and we cheerfully and warmly request your cooperation in the purchase and sale of the above named journal and wish all the profits arising therefrom to be under the control of Elder Watt. And this was signed by Brigham Young who was the second president of the church, Heber C. Kimball who was his first counselor, and Willard Richards who was his second counselor and also Brigham Young's cousin. Okay. So they are actually giving him a blessing and encouraging members of the church to purchase these messages in this mm -hmm. form uh, from him to sustain him in this, in, I guess you could say this business. He might mm -hmm. call it a ministry, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But still, he was making available to a broader audience the sermons, discourses, and such of these Latter-day Saint leaders. So it had its official blessing. People today, like this woman who wrote to me and said that it that it's not official information. It was at the time that yeah, they were doing it. Yeah, the president word, of the church. Yeah, that word official gets really fuzzy sometimes. I mean, when you have the leader of the church sanctioning a collection of sermons, many of them he has given, <laughs> so you would right. think he's at least gonna stand behind what <laughs> he's teaching. You would think so, huh? Uh, yeah, it, it sounds like that has at least the aroma of officiality. Mm -hmm. Now, whether a Mormon wants to believe they were quote-unquote official or not, I, I personally think is totally irrelevant because Mormons did believe what these men were saying. They these did. men who taught these things believed what they were saying. That's mm -hmm. the issue. Mm -hmm. Do you believe it? Do you believe it to be truth? And of course they did. They did. So to say, well, that's not official, to me is is more like a modern smokescreen. Yeah. And it's really not being genuine or even honest, I think, to an inquirer who comes up to a Mormon and says something, well, well, what about this statement that Brigham Young said? What do you think about this? Well, that's just not official. Yeah. Well, wait a minute, yeah. Brigham yeah. Young thought it was true, mm -hmm. and if he thought that was true, then that concerns me. And we have the entire first presidency. In the first edition, George Watt wrote in his introduction um, of more or less introducing this first, uh, let's quote what he said there. Okay, he said this, he said, and this is found in the first edition, he says, it affords me great pleasure in being able to put in your possession the words of the apostles and prophets as they were spoken in assemblies of the saints in Zion, the value of which cannot be estimated by man. Wow. Not so much for any great display of worldly learning and eloquence as for the purity of doctrine. Mm -hmm. Now notice how that word's being used, the mm -hmm. purity of doctrine. Yep. The early Mormon leaders did not have a problem using that word doctrine. They, sure they believed that what they were saying was a true teaching, which is of course what we, we get the word doctrine is a teaching. Right. But it goes on to say, as for the purity of doctrine, simplicity of style, an extensive amount of theological truth mm -hmm. which they develop. So we've got some good words in there that's specifying the type of information they can expect to find in the discourses. Well, if they're going to say that this is theological truth and it is purity of doctrine, and a modern Latter-day Saint is going to say, no, that's not doctrine, that's not true, 
then we have one major contradiction here. Yes, we, we do. We <laughs> have to wonder, why did they think it was doctrine then? Why did they think it was true then? Mm -hmm. And why are modern Latter-day Saints saying it's not doctrine, it's not true? I think that's a fair question. I think it is too. And, 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 and as we get into this, we're going to see more and more uh, proof that indeed the the leadership did give their blessing on mm -hmm. all of this. Oh, yeah. So when they began the work of recording, when he used his phonography, was there any question that from anybody that he recorded their words and messages accurately? There seemed to be the, a consensus that certainly these people that were in charge of doing the recording were doing it, in fact, accurately. I can't find, except in the words of maybe some lay people in the Mormon church that just disagree with what they're reading in the journal who come up with that kind of an excuse. Mm -hmm. But you know, Brigham Young was one who actually said that if you give me the opportunity to go through what I said, mm -hmm. give me a chance to do a little bit of correction or editing, editing here, and then after that, it's as good as scripture. It's good know? as scripture. Now you would think that if these things were really inaccurate, that the speakers would have at least corrected them, and should they be reprinted later on, the edited version would be included mm -hmm. in it. But we don't see that. We don't. I don't know of any. If there are some in yeah. there, I'm yeah. not aware of yeah, them. Yeah, I don't know of any either. Uh, well, some of the messages in the first volume, for instance, let's give a, a little bit of example, some examples to our viewers. Uh, the first volume that, that George Watts said uh, contained eloquence and purity of doctrine is the Adam-God teachings. Oh yeah, the most infamous. <laughs> <laughs> sermon Brigham Young probably ever taught. Brigham Young's threat to apostates mm -hmm. and that Jesus was persecuted because he lived polygamy. All these doctrines are in volume one of the Journal of Discourses. Uh, so obviously they taught them as doctrine. Would you elaborate a little bit on each one of these three doctrines? Well, that of course, the, the sermon that Brigham Young gave in a conference message, the Adam-God sermon, this is really as far as we know the first time this was ever taught openly, and in that sermon, it's kind of the second half of another message that he was preaching. He kind of switches gears halfway through, and now he starts to talk about the Adam-God uh, teaching. Uh, he firmly believed that this was doctrine, and when he taught this about hero Israel, Jew and Gentile, saint and sinner, when our father Adam came into the garden, he brought Eve, one of his wives, with him. He helped to make and organize this world. And he goes on to basically give credit to Adam as being God. And then he finishes up the sermon by telling the listeners, now you better pause before you treat this doctrine lightly or with indifference because it will prove your salvation or mm. damnation. Yeah, that's pretty important. Now, I, I had to chuckle when I was reading a, a portion by a BYU professor where this BYU professor was trying to downplay the Adam-God doctrine. They, they now use the Adam-God Theory. That's theory. how they describe it. Mm -hmm. Brigham Young never called it a theory. No, he didn't. That's a modern it, invention. Well, if your salvation you know, or damnation depends on right. us, it's not a theory. Exactly. <laughs> and he tried to give the impression that maybe, maybe Brigham Young was joking. Well, mm -hmm. when I read the end of that sermon, there's no way you're going to draw the conclusion that Brigham Young was joking about this. And he doesn't just teach it on this day in April of 1852. He goes on to make reference to this as he's growing older. And then finally, we, we know that, I think it was in 1874, he actually said that God gave him this doctrine. Okay. That's what he called it. Then it's got to be doctrine. And it, it was known as a doctrine at the time he taught it. It didn't have to be voted on or anything like that. That was understood, at least in the mind of Brigham Young, to mm -hmm. be doctrine. Now, 
If a Mormon wants to say, well, that's not what I think it is, all right, but when was the last time that individual spoke in general conference right. or wrote an article for the Ensign magazine? See, the lay people feel like they're free to give out these opinions, but they really don't have authority mm -hmm. to give those kind of opinions. Mm -hmm. They need to fall in line with the leadership. And I've often asked Mormons who, who deny a lot of the things that are in the journal, I says, okay, so you're telling me that if Brigham Young was standing next to me right now, you would tell him to his face that he was wrong. I don't think he would no, do I don't that. think so. What about his uh, sermon on the apostates and his bowie knife? Yeah, apostasy was a one. real problem in Mormonism, and of course it was not taken lightly. And right, to, to use right. a statement like that was, well, quite threatening. Yeah. You know, I mean, to now. And that was a, a sermon that he gave it was printed a sermon, in the German and, discourse. And a Mormon might argue, well, he's just using hyperbole, you know, and okay, he's using rhetoric, hyperbole, but that's a pretty serious statement to me. Yeah. I, I can't imagine if I was preaching a sermon in a church on a Sunday morning, me using that kind of rhetoric. I can't either. <laughs> and then you read the, the story of uh, Bill Hickman, but in his own sure, words, there, yeah. he, that, that actually uh, obviously hot. And what about Jesus persecuted because of police? That's also in volume one of the Journal of Discourses. Well, the idea of Jesus being a, uh, a person who practiced plural marriage, basically because that's what his father does. And that's uh, what the polygamists today exactly. believe. And they would use that as a type of proof as to why they are doing it here. This is an a, a, eternal doctrine. It's been going on forever and ever. And of course, if God practices it, Jesus must have practiced it. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you have Brigham Young, for instance, in the journal saying that the only men who become gods or even the sons of God are those who enter into polygamy, right. it would only make sense that if Jesus was to live the law the way he was supposed to, that he must have that been practicing have it for himself. Mm -hmm. So we've got three, just three right now in the volume one, the Adam God, Jesus was a polygamist and apostates were supposed to be killed off. Mm -hmm. uh, um, now that was truth. The, the, the words used was purity of truth. Purity of doctrine and theological truth. Is it that's, theological that's what, truth. That's okay, so if it was true then, why isn't it true today? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I, I think it's a fair question because one thing that I think is lost with a lot of Latter-day Saints who try to use this kind of uh, method of putting aside the older teachings is these leaders really felt they were getting their information from God. Mm -hmm. Now, unless God is changing, which of course for us as Christians, we'd have a real hard time well, with that. Well, even the Mormon, the Mormon books say he doesn't change. Well, they say in that. In some parts of them, yeah. <laughs> yes, they do say that. <laughs> but oftentimes what they say and how it's understood by your mm. average member is many times yeah. two different things ever. Okay, in, in 1963, as late as, nine, if I can say as late as 1963, the Deseret Book, which is owned by and was owned by the LDS Church, mm -hmm. and Axel Anderson, who was the assistant manager, actually placed an advertisement for the Journal of Discourses. Yes. Now, this advertisement would, would the, the writer, the people who have emailed me and says, you can't use JOD for a tool because we never used it as a tool. Why quote from it? What is this all? Didn't they encourage the members? Absolutely. In fact, I, I have, you can see in, in the camera, this is a photocopy of the actual ad that was found in the Deseret News. And, um, it, and this, is, this is what they were saying. It, it says, the, voice of, the voices of prophets 
Read the stimulating sermons and unmatched wisdom of great servants of the Lord. Journal of Discourses, including discourses by Brigham Young, Parley P. Pratt, Heber C. Kimball, John Taylor, and others. Now available at a very special price, $100 complete. $100. I wish you could have bought your What a deal. <laughs> yeah, I actually did buy mine years ago for $100. So I guess wow. there wasn't a lot of market between 1963 and I think around 1980 when I bought mine. But this is what it says. Every Latter-day Saint should take this opportunity of owning the written record of remarkable teachings from the LDS pulpit to the clear and vigorous exposition of Latter-day Saint doctrine is added the unmistakable authority of divine inspiration. Which is exactly what you said. They said God said, and they actually believed that's what they were teaching. True. And they are encouraging members to buy a set for themselves. Now, why would you buy a set of the Journal of Discourses if you don't plan on reading them? Now, yeah. I know a lot of Mormons buy Hugh Nibley stuff just to put that. on the shelves, yeah. and nobody ever reads Hugh yeah. Nibley. But I'm thinking that they're putting this ad in there because they want members to not only purchase them, but to read them. But you know, I've talked to a lot of them who have said, well, we bought them to say that we had them, but nobody ever read them. The yeah. Journal of Discourses, that's and I think that probably upsets a lot of Latter-day Saints because we do mm -hmm. go through and yeah, we, we do. Them. We read want them to know what these amazing. leaders were teaching. So then they were encouraged to read the journal. Now they're discouraged to reading them. And that's kind of a flip-flop, isn't it? It's confusing uh, because while the leaders, maybe on a local level, because uh, Stephen Robinson said that he's always been encouraged to set aside the Journal of Discourses, stick with the standard works, and... But that is confusing, mainly because Mormons are reading the Journal of Discourses, but they're reading it under a different title and in a different format. Mm -hmm. And if I might, let me explain. Okay. They're reading the Journal of Discourses when they read manuals like this. Yes. And whether they realize it or not, many of the quotes, I just happened to turn to page 220 and I see one, two, three, four, five, six references to a book titled The Discourses of Brigham Young. Uh -huh. The Discourses of Brigham Young was put together by John Witzow, mm -hmm. who was a Mormon apostle. Right. He went through the Journal of Discourses and just gleaned whatever he thought was you know, needed for people during that time period. And so what you have here is nothing, kind of, kind of like this manual, you have nothing but statements from the Journal of Discourses. And Witzow obviously felt that what's in here is worth believing. Now, I don't find the Adam-God doctrine in here. No, because he pick and chose what he put in he there. He did, that's exactly. Right. But a lot of the stuff I think modern Latter-day Saints might find, might find troubling, some of that is still in here because Witzow was an old-time Mormon. I mean, we're mm -hmm. talking 60, 70 years ago. Yeah. But if you go through here, he has the actual volume and page where the quotation is from. So when... This manual, a correlated manual, this comes back to 1997, the teachings of presidents of the church Brigham Young, when they cite the discourses of the Brigham Young, they're actually citing the Journal of Discourses. Out of the Journal of Discourses. So they're really still reading it. And as far as I know, this is a teaching tool. Yeah, That's for what sure. these manuals it are is. for. It they are is. to teach, and they, and they do use them in their gospel doctrine classes. So, so now the Deseret book, we talked about that ad. The Deseret book actually is encouraging the members to read it. 
uh, by doing, are they going to encourage the church on? Are they going to encourage people to read doctrine they don't believe is true? You wouldn't think so. You wouldn't think so. Uh, why would they do that? In, in fact, there was a letter by Axel Andresen, that you, the man that you cited earlier, when, mm -hmm. when somebody wrote him and apparently said to him that there are people that don't, that don't think the Journal of Discourse is, is you know, true or, or worth reading. Um, he writes this gentleman back, and I, I have a photocopy of the letter here, and this was June 12, 1963, about the same time that that ad came out. Mm -hmm. And he tells this man, he says, in having in your library the 26 volumes of the Journals of Discourses, he, that's an SIC, he has mm -hmm. journals, it's really journal. You have a library containing the sermons of the presidents and apostles of the church. If anyone tells you that the sermons found therein are not recognized by the church, they know not what they are talking about. So I can say this to the writer or this lady who emails me. I can say, you don't know what you're talking well, about. Well, you, can, you could actually <laughs> say that the assistant manager of Deseret Book back in 1963 certainly would have said they don't know what they're talking about. Well, certainly. How that's yeah. going to be interpreted today, you know, as anybody's guess, depending on the individual that you're talking to. But I think the lady that wrote you is certainly in error when she makes this blanket assumption that this was never used teaching in teaching to, as yeah. a teaching tool because that doesn't seem to be the case. In fact, if she took the class where they were using this, it is and a teaching she tool. she probably wouldn't even have it's realized It's just under a different it. cover right. and under a different name. She probably never even thought that Looked those citations footnote. were originally found in the yeah. Journal of Discourses. Well, tell us what happened with Orson Pratt. He published The Seer and he, he wrote something Brigham Young was not quite happy with. Yeah, there were a few things that Orson Pratt said in the Seer that got Brigham Young's attention. Um, it, it had nothing to do with the polygamy issue. Brigham Young and Orson seemed to be in, oh, yeah, in they tune agreed on that. There. <laughs> but one of the things that Orson Pratt did not agree with was the Adam God teaching. He did not agree with Brigham Young's teaching that man that God is progressing in knowledge. Uh, Brigham Young had a problem with that one as well. And if you go into the journal, you can actually see sometimes Brigham Young taking pot shots at Orson for his limited God that he mm. referred to as. Mm. That got Orson Pratt into a lot of trouble. And some think that that's, that disagreement between Pratt and Young led to Orson Pratt not being chosen to be Young's successor mm. as the third president, wow. which in the line of succession, he probably should have been there. But there was something where they, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but, but Brigham Young basically used some kind of technicality to knock Orson Pratt out of the running so that he would not become his successor. Wow. And of course, instead, John Taylor became the third president mm -hmm. of the church. Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's what Mormon apologists do, and it kind of rubs me the wrong way. It irritates me the way they play fast and loose with the facts. Because Brigham Young had this disagreement with some of the things that Orson Pratt said in the Seer, mm -hmm. Mormon apologists take that as that's a blanket denial of everything in the Seer. And I don't see uh, that. I don't even. see that. Okay, maybe Brigham Young disagreed with this, he disagreed with that, and he denounced Orson Pratt for saying those things. But to say that we can't use the seer at all as a means of understanding what Mormons were learning through this man who was an apostle of the church and a very credible apostle of the church. 
I think is wrong, and I think it's very misleading when Mormon apologists do that. Okay. But yeah, I do yeah. see them doing that. But the, the Doctrine and Covenants, Orson Pratt is named by Joseph Smith as being a prophet and a mm -hmm. seer. Yes. So whose who's word is above the other? Well, there's, there's publishers' prefaces that I think is very interesting. I thought maybe we could go through some of the, not all of the volumes, but some right. of them, uh, and read the preface to those viewers who do not believe that we should be using the Journal of Discourses as quotes on our show, or that they need to read them themselves. And then we'll discuss a few of the things that are in those journals. Sure. Uh, so let's look at the second volume of the Journal of Discourses, and what is the preface um, okay. on that one? Well, I think it's important that your listeners know that Orson Pratt was the editor and publisher of volume, volume, are we talking about two or three? We're all in volume two we're, on this one. This is Franklin, Franklin Richards. Okay, this Richards. is Franklin Richards. Okay. Um, Franklin, the, the people that were in charge of publishing the various volumes, and it wasn't just one person, there were several. Right. But many of these men were either serving as a general authority at the time or they would be in the near future. So these are not slouches. Right. These are men who we have to assume understood what Mormonism was at the time. At the time. And so to think that they just allowed false doctrine to get into the journal without noticing it is a little hard for me to believe. Is, and and yeah. I think that does a disservice to the men who were actually put in charge of of following what was to go into those particular mm -hmm. uh, volumes. Okay. But in the second volume, it says this in the preface, this is Franklin D. Richards. The second volume of the Journal of Discourses needs no recommendation to make it interesting to every saint who, love to drink, who loves to drink of the streams that flow from the fountain of eternal truth. Now, this truth. is what he's saying. It's the fountain of eternal truth. He says, it is made up of the choicest fruit that can be called from the tree of knowledge, suited to the tastes of all who can appreciate such delicious food. Okay, well, one so thing you can't, we've got you got to give <laughs> Richard's credit. He, he knew how to he write used, you know, quite flowery. Those, There's no doubt about it. Those good words. But, okay, so we have eternal truth, the tree of knowledge. What topics eternal truth are covered in this volume? Well, some of them would include, of course, that Jesus was married at the marriage feast at Cana. Okay. This was a popular belief among some Mormon leaders, and you find this mentioned in the journal. Of course, that concept strikes us as strange because the Bible tells us that Jesus was actually invited to the marriage. He was invited, Cana. You exactly. don't normally invite the groom. Right. That's a little bit of a Even in those days, that was odd. <laughs> right. But it does teach that Jesus was married at Cana. There's also on page uh, 143, it talks about the curse on blacks to be removed after all whites have had the privilege of receiving the priesthood. Now that's an eternal truth, one of these delicious truths. That, yes, that they... and, and, and Brigham Young did teach this. And what's odd, I find, is in the declaration on, on marriage in, at the back of the, of the uh, Doctrine and Covenants, it says that they knew that the day was coming when the ban on those of African heritage holding the priesthood was going to be lifted. They knew that that was going to be lifted, but what that statement doesn't tell you is 
Yes, it was understood it would eventually be lifted, but I can guarantee you it wasn't going to be 1978. Yeah, So for the sure. Mormon leadership jumped the gun on that because mm -hmm. what leaders were saying earlier in the church is it wouldn't happen until every one of Adam's posterity had the opportunity right. to receive the priesthood. Mm -hmm. Then it would be lifted. Then it could be lifted. That is left out okay. in the declaration. All right, and then they taught that there are, in that volume, that there are many millions of gods. Mm -hmm. Certainly, uh, like as particles of matter. Yeah. That, that's a lot of that's gods. That's a lot of gods, uh, right. So that's one thing about Mormonism. It is definitely a polytheistic uh, religion. Christianity, Judaism has always been known as a monotheistic right, religion, exactly. that there's only one God. But of course, Mormons not only believe that there's been multitude of gods going clear back into eternity past, what we call an infinite regression of gods. There's three separate gods in the Mormon Godhead, mm -hmm. uh, which of course violates what the Book of Mormon teaches in Alma right. 11. It, it says that there's only one true and living God. And I've been trying to find out from Latter-day Saints if that's true, that there's only one true and living God, then what two in the Mormon Godhead aren't true and or living? Exactly. Uh, good, because good they question. can't all three be true if, that's tr if that statement is true, and we have to assume it is because mm -hmm. it came through a prophet named Amulek that the Book of Mormon says could not say anything contrary to the Spirit of the Lord. <laughs> Interesting. And then the, the last one of, that we wanted to mention that's in that volume is that if Joseph Smith asked for the wife of a man of God, he would gladly give her to him. Oh, that's a good doctrine. If you're a man of God, you're going to give your wife to Joseph Smith. And there were men that did do that. There were. Uh, we know that if you read Todd Compton's book in Sacred Loneliness, if you read Richard L. Bushman's book, Joseph Smith, Rough Stone Rolling, uh, Compton says that at least 11 women were married to Joseph Smith and had living husbands. Uh, Richard L. Bushman says that there were 10. I always go with the conservative number, well, at least 10, which I think is 10 too many. Exactly. But nonetheless, they, they have no doubt about that, at least the historians. Mm -hmm. Now the lay people, that's a, little, that's that's a whole a different, different story. story. They don't often know this. They and don't. sometimes when you bring up Joseph Smith's polyandry, and that's how it was described, many Mormons just, they can't believe what you're saying. That's a horrible thing to say about their yeah. prophet. Yeah, but it's in the Journal of Discourses. Mm -hmm. uh, this wonderful book that they now discourage, but they at one time ago. Well, let's go to volume three quickly. Uh, Orson Pratt, th this is the one where he served as the editor. What did he say in his yes, preface? Yes, these discourses, as they successfully reach us from Zion, show to those who have the spirit of discernment Ooh. that the Lord's power is increasing among his people and that he is purifying and bringing them nearer to him by chastisement which at the same time he is blessing them with a continual development of the pure principles of eternal life in proportion as they yield obedience to his requirements. Wow. Now, if anybody knew Mormon doctrine, you would think it would be Orson Pratt. Oh, for and, sure. And so yeah. when he makes a statement like that, I have to assume he's not going to let false teachings creep in to the volume that he is responsible for being the editor mm -hmm. and publisher. And he calls them pure principles. Yes. So we, like you say, we should be able to trust them. So what are some of the doctrines that are in volume three? Well, this is like page 93, that, that men are created to become gods. I know this is kind of fuzzy the way the Mormon church portrays that doctrine now. They certainly do believe that men can become gods. Um, the Mormon lay people would rather 
downplay that sometimes when their neighbor asks them about this. Mm, they and say, do, well, yes. we believe that we can become like God, and we want to be like yeah, Jesus. Yeah, he's our father. As Should if we we're just like... trying to emulate right. his holiness. But no, Mormons want to emulate that position. They want the that position, position of being a God. Of God. And the fundamentalists make no bones about it. They Correct. know that in being a polygamist, you will become a God. Yes. That that's part of it. Absolutely. So they don't make any and bones about it. And of course now that. the Mormon church has been kind of downplaying this idea of them getting their own worlds or yeah. planets. Um, most of the Mormon leaders that talk about getting their own world, they use the word world or earth. They don't often use the word planet. Although Orson Whitney who was the son of Helen Mar Kimball Whitney, mm -hmm. who was the daughter of Heber C. Kimball. She was the 14-year-old wife of, of Joseph Smith. Mm -hmm. Orson Whitney did use the word planets. Uh, and that, you know, that's just semantics though. It is, it, it's a just, game. Yeah. It's a game, and when people start playing semantical games with you, you better recognize something's not right mm -hmm. here. Because they shouldn't have to do that. Let's just be it. totally honest and let's just talk about this. Tell me yeah. what you really believe. Don't play games. Don't try to manipulate me. Don't try to, you know, uh, to to hide information from me. Because if I if I sense that you're hiding information from me, I'm going to really I'm sense there's turn something wrong. And walk away. <laughs> you know? Okay. Okay. What well, some of the other uh, doctrines in this volume that is pure purity of principle. Uh, it's okay to put a javelin through the heart of an adulteress. Yeah, that was the uh, blood atonement doctrine that Brigham Young was known famous for, that he taught that there were certain sins that the blood of Christ could not cover. And in cases like that, the sinner himself must atone for those sins mm -hmm. by shedding his own blood. And, mm -hmm. and many believe that that's why in the state of Utah, the preferred method of execution was firing was squad. Was firing squad yeah, that because that shed the blood. would shed blood. And right. there was controversy when they had the first lethal injection in mm -hmm. Utah. I remember that. Because I, if I recall the story, the person who died by lethal injection actually had asked one of his church leaders if that was okay, and the church leader said it was. And then after it happened, there were all sorts of controversy floating <laughs> around saying, no, he got that wrong. Yeah. And now yeah. they act like that was never taught at all. Right. So right. it's so, ever evolving. And, so, and because adultery is the unforgivable sin, then putting a javelin through her heart sheds the blood and kills Correct. the adulteress. Uh, I wonder why come the, it, it's okay to put a javelin through an adulterous wife. What happens to the husband? Well, I guess you could, I when think in that statement, you could, you could put it through both of them, I think is the way Brigham Young actually worded through it. So I guess you could knock the them off through. both at the same time with one javelin, although I don't know of too many Mormons that keep a javelin nearby. <laughs> I don't something think like so. That. I'm, again, I'm, he's using this very flowery, catchy language, but... I think he's trying to make a point. Yeah, for sure. And another one was Adam was made from the dust of the earth, but not of this earth. So that goes Correct. back to the worlds, the other worlds. worlds. Sure, yeah. And, and this is something that, that the older generation of Mormons all understood. Now, maybe the younger generation coming up, that might not be that clear to them because it's not being emphasized. But I don't see anywhere where these teachings are actually being denounced. And that's the thing that's with right. the, the Mormon church. That's they the kind thing. of let a lot of these embarrassing doctrines 
die from lack of mention, mm -hmm. but they never denounce them. They don't denounce and, them. And it's very rare when the LDS church will actually throw one of their own under the bus, except they've done that recently with Brigham Young when it came to the race and priesthood essay mm -hmm. on LDS.org. Uh -huh. They certainly pinned the blame on Brigham Young, yeah. completely yeah. ignoring some of the things that, that Joseph Smith said And with polygamy too. Another one on that volume, this purity of doctrine, only when a woman secures to herself a glorious resurrection is she worthy of her husband's full love. That's awful. Yeah, Brigham Young needs to say some things like, you know, you only love your wife as far as she loves what you believe and things like that. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, it was kind of, I but mean. That's come forward even to today sometimes if, yeah. if there's a mixed marriage of Mormon, non-Mormon. Yeah, it, but that kind of a comment certainly is not in line with what we see the Apostle Paul teaching us. For sure. I mean, there is a complete difference. Now again, if these men are getting their information from the same source, as the New Testament apostles, why do we see these glaring contradictions? Mm -hmm. Unbiblical. And, and these Unbiblical. are the questions that Everyone I like to la ask Latter-day Saints because I, I think it's important. And sometimes it's funny, Doris, I'll get some Mormons say, well, that doesn't matter to me. Don't ever let a Latter-day Saint get away with that because what I say when they say something like that, I say, well, it may not matter to you, but it certainly matters to me mm -hmm. if I was to even consider your church as a place to go. I would like to have these matters clarified for me. Mm -hmm. This is concerning to me. <laughs> Could you please find out some answers for me on right. this? Okay, let's quickly, I think we probably have time to do only one more uh, volume before we have to get into uh, oh, let's do uh, running eight. down. Let's do volume eight. Volume eight, okay. Volume eight. George Cannon was the publisher. What did he say? Well, um, in, in volume eight is where we find the statement that the Journal of Discourses ranks as one of the standard works uh -huh. of the church. There you go, there's now, that key now, language. Now let's clarify this. He's not saying that the Journal of Discourses is part of the four standard works, but mm -hmm. to give it the rank of a standard work in the Mormon mindset at that time would certainly elevate it would. these volumes very highly to, in the mind of a Latter-day Saint. Mm -hmm. He says one of the standard works of the church and every right-minded saint will certainly welcome with joy every number as it comes forth from the press as an additional reflector of the light that shines from Zion's wow. hill. Now that is, that pretty much puts it in its place. What are some of the lights shining from Zion's Hill do we find in volume eight? Well, the one, <laughs> one that really stands out is that those who deny that God sent Joseph Smith, yeah. well, you're an antichrist. It's as simple as that. Wow, if you, you don't believe I that Joseph him. Smith was coming from God, then you are an antichrist. Um, the Garden of Eden, uh, it was taught in, in volume eight, the Garden of Eden is located in America. That was a very common belief. There are some Mormons I've talked to today that still believe yeah, that. The Mormons do. actually own the property where they believe that Adam fled after he fell in the Garden of Eden, which is of course around Independence, Missouri. Mm -hmm. Harry Truman yeah. probably like that. Yeah, I'm sure. But after Adam <laughs> fell, he fled to this place called Adam on Diamond. The Mormons own that property. Mm -hmm. You can go out and visit this place. I've been there several times. But you know, when you read the Joseph Smith translation and he his the way he has written or rewritten Genesis, he names the Ethiopian River or the Euphrates River. He mentions Assyria as all being landmarks of the Garden of Eden. And not to mention, he 
put himself in there, he too, put in himself Genesis there 50, too. Right. So, I, so, so if those are landmarks of the Garden of Eden, how could Missouri be the? I mean, the Syrians. The, who knows? But, but I, I mean, trying to get into the mind of Joseph Smith sometimes makes my head hurt. And to get people you know. to compare truth with yeah. with error. Okay, the next one, the Book of Mormon lands are also. In the United States, and that's to be understood as North America setting, what we call today the heartland model. And in Mormonism, there is this debate that is going on as to where the Book of Mormon lands were located. If you, it depends really on the travel agency you choose, yeah. uh, whether or not they reflect your views. Because if you were to book a, a passage on a flight to go see the Book of Mormon lands, you could be either going to Central America or maybe taking a flight to New York. It mm -hmm. really depends. Yeah. Uh, that, it's that diverse. Um, some of the BYU professors and apologists down there, many of them hold to what's known as the limited geography theory, which mm -hmm. places the Book of Mormon lands down in the Central America area around Guatemala and such. But then you have a, I think is a rapidly growing position, which is the Heartland model that's been uh, espoused by Rod Meldrum and Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck holds to the Heartland model. Hmm. He firmly believes that the Book of Mormon lands were in, in America, in the United mm -hmm. States area. Okay, and so all of this we find in this volume where the light's shining on Zion's hill. Another one in that volume is that God begat Jesus as humans are begotten So, uh, by literal thought. So when they say that Jesus is God's literal son, they are saying by sexual union. He's the only begotten son after the manner of the flesh. Yeah. That's the phrase they use. And that's how they separate Jesus' incarnation from everybody else's. Because if Mormonism's true, all of our births are an incarnation. Because we true. existed in the pre-existence as a spirit child of God. So this idea that God, who has a body of flesh and bones, physically impregnates Mary was certainly taught by Brigham Young, as well as many other leaders in the LDS Church. There, it's not just the 19th century notion. We find several leaders in the Mormon Church in the 20th century teaching that as well. Mm, yeah. And yeah. Uh, you know, I know that offends a lot of modern Latter-day Saints, especially con converts, but, you know, that's their problem. We're merely the messengers yeah, telling them telling what, what their they, own leaders have said. And I've had to tell many Latter-day Saints who complain about me writing about these things, look, I'm merely telling you what your leaders have said. If you don't mm -hmm. agree with it, take it up with your church. That's not my, that's not really my problem. Yeah, I'm just right. telling you what they said. Do right. with it what you will. I'm not forcing you one way or the other. But I think if you believe and, and cherish truth, you're going to want to check into this some more. Mm -hmm. That's true. Well, cherishing truth is, and, and, the, and they think that truth has, is changeable. I mean, it's very, and I do this with, with the polygamists too, because things are, uh, things are changing with them as well, but their, their basic foundational doctrines haven't changed. Yeah, there are certain things those. that cannot change, like, you know, yeah. things having to do with God. Now, why would that change? It yeah. just wouldn't. It wouldn't. Yeah. So, okay, uh, we have only uh, a little less than a minute yet. Uh, the Journal of Discourses is online, and I've put a link up on the screen that we're going to uh, put, and maybe you've got another link that you could use, but it's uh, wikisource.org where our viewers can go online. Check us out. Check mm -hmm. us out to see if we're telling the truth here, that they can go online and find the journal, every journal, every discourse, every volume. Uh, on our website, we also have a link to, you have uh, a link to the it. journals and, uh, and the journal, and uh, merely go to mrm.org and 
I think there's a link right on the home page. If not, just in the search box, type journal discourse, and it'll take you to that. Yeah, and we've, you got, can the, do a search we've got the link there on the screen yeah. where they can go that's onto it. your that's, website. That's and so check out the Journal of Discourses and see if what we've been telling you is the truth. There's a lot more we could have talked about tonight. We had a lot of information, but we don't have the time now. Um, but, uh, Bill, thank you so much for coming I'm and sharing with you. your expertise. Always. And we encourage our viewers to check out, God tells us to check out what we believe. You know, there is a difference between indoctrination and learning doctrine. Indoctrination is presenting personal belief as though it were proven fact. It's conditioning by others to make you think and to believe their way, but learning doctrine is a personal study to determine whether or not doctrinal statements are believable and factual and historical or provable. Polygamy groups and the LDS indoctrinate their members. The opportunity to study all sides of their teachings is not part of their learning process. In fact, it's to be avoided. I've heard people say things like, doctrine doesn't matter that much, or no one leaves our church because of doctrine, or it was a lack of faith or testimony that they left, or even worse, they left because of some horrible sin, when all along it was doctrine, and doctrine does matter. I know dozens of people who've left Joseph Smith's religion because of doctrine. And we're not being unloving and unkind when we point out that this culture deviates from biblical doctrine. The Bible warns us to watch out for anyone who teaches a different doctrine that doesn't agree with the sound teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. God does care about doctrine. He warns us to watch out for and to point out unbiblical teaching. That's what he's told us to do. God's word is the only place God's truths can be found. And speaking biblical truth to those who believe otherwise, to those who believe false doctrine, is an act of obedience to tell the truth. And it's because we love people, not because we hate them. Jesus said God's word is truth. He did not say Joseph Smith's word is truth, but only God's word is the truth, and that's where we take our stand. Thanks for watching, and good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.